What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I hope you're all doing well in your, what I'm sure is various states of self-isolation, social isolation, whatever people are calling it. Um, my guest today is Jeff Booth. Jeff is the author of the book, The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. As you might expect from that title, there are a lot of concepts in this book that um, overlap with a lot of the things we often discuss in the Bitcoin space. Um, Jeff has addressed in the book a lot of the underlying economic issues that are happening that perhaps mainstream uh, is not aware of, but again, a lot of us in the space have been commenting on for a while. He puts them together in a very, uh, you know, a very careful uh, way, pieces the puzzle together in, in a very, you know, productive way uh, to piece together this narrative and really tell this story. So uh, read the book, really enjoyed it, and as a result, wanted to have Jeff on the show. He was also actually recently featured in a Real Vision interview, I think last week or maybe the week before, um, and in great interview. I highly recommend you check it out. He, he does address a lot of the concepts that, that he's put forth in the book. Jeff comes at this with a wealth of experience in entrepreneurship and investing. He's the founding partner of Odeo Labs, the co-founder of AddyInvest.com and KnockKnock.com, serves on the boards of Terramera, Cubic Farms, Lamazoo, Synthium, and the Richmond Hospital Foundation, as well as numerous advisory boards. And perhaps most importantly, he's a hardcore Bitcoiner, extremely bullish on Bitcoin, uh, and he addresses that in the book as well as uh, this interview. So uh, that's it. I hope you enjoy. Let's do it. Um, so Jeff, first of all, thank you for coming on. It's, um, I, w I finished your book uh, yesterday. And the whole time while I was reading it, I couldn't help but think, like, I wonder how this book would have been different if it had, you know, if, if you had written it this spring rather than published it in January and probably written it in the latter part of last year. Yeah, I wrote it. Uh, it took 18 months to write and publish it. So you can imagine what it looks like. <laughs> right. And so there's so much going on right now and there's so much to discuss and we're, we're going to get into as much as, of it as we can. But for people that aren't maybe familiar with you or the book, can you just bring us up to speed on who you are and then a brief intro to the book and we'll, we'll just take whatever vein opens up? Sure. Probably the best way who I am, I'm a technology entrepreneur, um, have been for the last 20 years um, on, on a whole bunch of different boards, technology boards, advisory boards, helping out in technology companies. I ran, um, I co-founded a company called Build Direct and, and created uh, about a half billion dollars of market cap in that company um, in, in its peak. Uh, and, and so been at the front seat of technology for a long time. And so all, all friends uh, are in the technology field. I wrote the book um, specifically because um, I, what I felt is people aren't putting together two and two. So technology, technology is deflationary. Um, technology uh, makes things cost less. Um, in fact, every single giant company, the monopolies in, in, in technology, Google, Amazon, Facebook, everything else, you use them because they're free, right? So, so prices keep coming down lower and lower. And that was not being connected to the economic system that we currently uh, um, live in. So I wrote the book because it, 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 it gives predictable discourse to society if you run a 
system if everything's moving to technology and uh, and we're inflating in an old way of, of running an economy so the book's called the price uh, price of tomorrow why deflation is key to an abundant future mm -hmm. so you know, a lot of the, the themes that you mentioned in the book and that you briefly touched on just then, you know, a lot have to do with, you know, as you just said, the the rapid pace of technological advancement, exponential in many cases, and the deflationary effect that that is having. So prices are falling in certain categories that are uh, basically exposed to that or subject to that exponential effect. Simultaneously, and this is extremely relevant right now, we have uh, inflation you know, we, we've had a, a, a persistent policy of inflation for, let's say, the last hundred years, roughly. Um, but certainly since 1971 and, and accelerating all the time. Just let, let's start with this. What's your response? We, we heard yesterday that the bailout package in the United States is going to be six trillion dollars plus. What is your response to that? Just your reflexive response to that. We, you know, you read the book. It's all, <laughs> it's all predicted in the book, right? So it is. this is all predicted way before this all happens because it's, it's, it's math. It's uh, so, so people still isolate technology thinking it's just in your Google searches and you can get free there, but everywhere else should inflate. But technology, look at your phone, right? The apps on your phone, they're all free too. And that technology that's the underpinning of our society is moving into every industry. So if that's true and it's exponential, in fact, the only way to combat that deflationary force is, is printing money at a rate that is exponential as well. So you have exponential technology deflation um, that could be a good thing. And you have exponential um, printing of money to stop deflation. Um, and it seems insane. Um, so that's my response. That's my response. It's going to break. It's just mm -hmm. a matter of when it uh, when it breaks. Yeah. And this is a kind of a, a boogeyman that gets brought up a lot. And the boogeyman is deflation. Of course, that's the subject of your book. But many mainstream economists will decry deflation and they'll insist that there has to be a certain amount of inflation for investment, for economic growth, for job creation, et cetera. What is your? What do you think is the fault with that reasoning? Why do you think deflation is is such a boogeyman, and why do you think it could actually, you know, in in a in a free market, would actually be a positive thing rather than a negative thing? So let's just go to, to first principles of inflation or deflation first, mm -hmm. right? So neither is good or bad. It's just who wins and who loses, right? So in inflation, if you have assets, you win. Um, as they are inflated away, they don't lose value. If you have cash, you lose. Deflation is the opposite. So the bunch of the economic arguments that come down to uh, why deflation is bad come out of the 30s. And, and what, it, what they say is people will wait for prices to get cheaper and that'll cause a downward spiral in the economy as people wait and wait and wait. But I don't think that that actually is valid today. Um, people line up for the newest iPhone around the block. Right. They, um, the, 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 um, the technology deflation allows us all to get more with less. In fact, um, I think we're asking the wrong question. The scarcity today and in the future will be high paying jobs to keep us technologies eroding more and more jobs. And we're inflating to try to make everything more expensive. You want insanity. That's insanity, right? Because mm -hmm. it leads to social discourse. Um, the, if deflation is allowed to happen, you don't, the, the real question, 
do we actually need that many jobs if things ever if if things all over the world kept coming down lower lower and lower in price there's a there's a there's a concept and i think a lot of people miss this economics is not about value it's about perceived value or but but it's actually about scarcity um and so the air we breathe should be the most valuable thing um on, on planet more than water more than anything else why is it free it's only not free underwater or if we polluted the air so bad it would make it scarce um, you can't go and, and technology underpinning the world today is creating abundance everywhere and we're not letting that happen mm -hmm. because we're manipulating right and another i think danger of this approach to things and i i was shared a chart last night actually i think we would all you know we would all know this already but the chart really brings it home and it's showing the level of inflation in a variety of different industries and, and categories <laughs> and so of course you've got the highest inflation in public or government uh, funded subsidized or directly controlled industries and then you've got the highest deflation in private industries you know like you mentioned cell phones or tvs or or technology basically and so one you know you just articulated one of the dangers of that i think another one is that as these as this turmoil grows and this this uh, this disequilibrium is fostered more and more and the inequality is expanded for many of the reasons that you just touched on there's more calls for the disenfranchised to expand the powers and the breadth and scope of the state in order to provide some form of uh exactly of, of welfare and as the danger of that aside from you know the obvious ones is that as the economy becomes as the state becomes more inter, you know integrated into the economy and re responsible for more production and the allocation of resources and the, the providing of services then the inflationary effect is felt even more because those services are the ones that feel it more. So the larger the government involvement, the larger that inflationary process is felt by the people who feel it the most. Um, and it, I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. Please, yeah. So, so today, imagine I have a house and I have, I have lots of real estate. I'm a technology, and so I'm a beneficiary of what we're talking about, right? So I, I'm in the winning camp. Mm -hmm. So my real estate goes up in price a lot as we inflate, as we protect it from falling, right? Um, and, and, and people that are renting that real estate, it, prices go up and they lose. So, so one side is picking the pocket without knowing that they're picking the pocket of the other side. And the other side is yelling for government subsidies to be able to keep up with, an, with a manipulated inflation rate because we're manipulating economies. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, and, and both sides of, of the aisle are screaming at each other on, on different solutions, all on the same foundation. And that foundation is like you said, we've been running that foundation for the last hundred years and it's worked. Mm -hmm. It just won't work anymore, right? So, so you could look at the math and, and if it took $185 trillion to provide essentially 2% nominal growth um, over the last 20 years. $185 trillion has created $46 trillion of growth, real GDP growth. You just ask, can that continue? But it's worse, right? And so, or, or ask, if you didn't provide $185 trillion of made up money, 
pulling demand forward, what would the real economy look like? Right? You would see the natural trend that's been there all along. But it's worse than that because technology is, is exponential. And that means that if it took $185 trillion looking backwards, it's going to take that much more looking forwards. So, so, and, and all of that is just a gift to, that, a gift to asset owners mm -hmm. at the expense of, expense of everybody else. So no wonder they're rising. You have politicians on both sides of the aisles, both wrong, mm -hmm. because they don't see the fundamental change is way over here. Yeah. And of course, you can't really expect people that are the most disenfranchised by, or maybe maybe that's the wrong way to put it, but it's not surprising that the people that are the, mo the most disenfranchised are most susceptible to, you know, taking the debate on expanding government handouts and government power because you know they're in very desperate situations. And if what would you what would you do exactly? If you couldn't feed your family, what would you do? Right, and yeah. and in the short term. Maybe it helps, but in the long term, it just exacerbates the existing problem, right? Exactly. Um, and you know, you that that's a another point that I'd like to hang out on for a second, where you mentioned the the amount of of debt required to foster economic growth continues to increase, right? And so I think a figure you gave in the book, something on the order of you know the global economy is in the eighty trillion, and the amount of debt needed to to get it there is 140, something like that? No, 250 trillion. 250. 250 on an $80 trillion global economy. Mm -hmm. uh, and 185 trillion of that has come in the last 20 years, more and more every year. Mm -hmm. That's the known. There's a whole bunch of off balance sheet, unfunded pensions. It's way worse than that. Right. Now think about where we are now. What will the global economy be looking forward? 40 trillion? And what will the debt be? You see what's happening. It's actually it's all predicted right in the book. Exactly, exactly what happens because because fundamentally, we're, um, the world is operating differently yeah. because more and more of the world is moving to technology. Mm -hmm. In fact, this whole what's happening right now. You can work at home. Look at Zoom prices. Look at everything else. My whole portfolio is 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 doing really well <laughs> because it's all technology and it's moving way. It's it coming out of this. It's going to move faster to technology. Mm -hmm. And how do we come out of this? You know, because a lot is made of, and we, we, of course, we'll get to Bitcoin at some point in this conversation, but a lot, you know, Bitcoin for some is positioned as, you know, a call option on a future financial system, right? It's a, it's a hedge against the failure of the existing system. Um, to others, it's, it's different things. But many of us look at this insanity and think, how long can this go on? When will the, the confidence be lost in the currency, in the government, in, in this whole system. What's your take on where we are now? And do you have any, uh, you know, any inkling of an insight in, as to how much longer this can persist? And how are you, you know, managing your, hedging your bets accordingly? So are you saying specifically with Bitcoin or? No, I just mean with, with everything that's happening now, $6 trillion bail, bailout, obviously the coronavirus is a big black swan. How, how much longer do you think the legacy system can persist and, and what are you doing to hedge your bets and, and come, about, come out of it, whatever come out of it means, uh, as unscathed and as possible? I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the opportunities and the technology companies that will benefit on the other side of this. I'm absolutely bullish, massively bullish on Bitcoin as, a, as the hedge that you said. Mm -hmm. I suspect that this is what happens. And, and it's not that it's Bitcoin specifically. 
it's what is money, right? It's just the exchange of value, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and for that to work, there has to be trust in the system. So if you pretend, if it's just a bunch of it's faces and zeros, ones and zeros on it, and um, and if you change the the underlying circuit by changing the number of zeros on it, you lose trust in the system. Mm-hmm. So so what I suspect in a normal environment, in a, and where if we hadn't gotten this far apart. Um, Global governments could come together and provide a Bretton Woods type of framework that was tied to an exchange rate. Um, and they might actually be able to create a global currency that was digital in nature that, uh, that, that looked like Bitcoin um, in a normal environment that, that operated like Bit- Bretton Woods did tied to the gold. To, to gold. Um, so that's what that was the formulation of Bretton Woods. Mm-hmm. In this environment, I suspect that that can't happen. I, I, I suspect that so, so as the US is a background of currencies around the world, as they print massively and every other government prints massively to try to get essentially game theory to get their currency down so they can protect their jobs, um, you're going to see a blow up of the existing system. And what I would suspect out of that is, is one got some government maybe it's smaller maybe it is pegs to bitcoin mm-hmm. um, and it cascades from there um, or or people in the background start accumulating bitcoin knowing that the peg is coming because there has to be a peg to 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 run global trade mm-hmm. i uh, in november 2018 i was in singapore and i i went over to Jim Rogers house. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's kind of a you know, legendary yeah. Wall Street investor. And uh, we had a, a brief discussion, only only about a half an hour. But, uh, you know, this was the scenario that he's been calling for for the last decade, you know, and um, he's got his own approach to it and everything like that. But he paints a very dark picture of how this plays out. And in, in, in the final page of your book, you articulated that your motivation for writing this book, aside from it being in line with your life experiences and your business and your entrepreneurship and your interests, it's kind of, you're, you're trying to bring awareness to these issues and bring awareness to where these issues could lead us if we don't handle it properly. Um, and I share those, those fears and, and, you know, as does Jim, what if anything, you know, I agree, I, we, we may see that Bitcoin may come out of this as a, some kind of a global monetary standard, Aside from the investment case, you mentioned technology companies and things that will benefit from the accelerating deflation. What, what is an individual to do in this kind of a landscape where we're probably going to see you know, more extreme political rhetoric, finger pointing, you know, and the, the, real, the very real possibility of, of conflict? What is a person to do? So that's the, so if you say, what am I doing family-wise, that's, I would say my portfolio is is ready for this, and I have kind of <laughs> escape mechanisms to other places that uh, that that because you could see massive conflict out of um, this polarization that's happening, and that's mm-hmm. what scares me. That's why I wrote the book. Yeah. Um, in fact, you bringing me on this podcast is actually a really great. So I hope I wrote the book because I uh, because I hope really great minds will get together and figure out how to how to transition to a new world economy that is absolutely crucial 
so that we can uh, provide abundance to everybody. Capitalism would work perfectly if you allowed deflation to happen. Mm-hmm. Capitalism would work perfectly. Jobs would jobs would fall, and along that fall, prices would get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and you wouldn't have this massive tax on the w- wealthy to provide for the poor because things would get cheaper and cheaper as you let the natural forces take care. Is capitalism um, uh, the best system? It's the best system we know of, right? <laughs> and and so and so, does there need to be a safety net along the way? Probably. Does there need to be? How do we um, how do we transition? Not sure, um, but but I do know this: um, if we just let nature take its course, um, we would uh, we would all be a lot better. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. The thing I fear is that the social discourse, uh, at least leading up to the current crisis, you know, right now many things have changed very quickly, and we're in a obviously uncharted territory. But the the social discourse was seemingly moving away from capitalism, you know, using capitalism as a scapegoat for a lot of the ills that they're being experienced in society. And I'm wondering if it's going to take a shock to the system on the scale of something far worse than we're seeing right now, and as we were just discussing, in order for people to be able to see the merits of that system from a different perspective because you've said this before and I've, I've said it many times as well we don't have capitalism right now we have a form of crony crony capitalism crony capitalism you know with a with huge government apparatus involved in almost all economies in the world and you can't honestly claim to have a capitalist society if the government is on the other half of every transaction via their control of the money supply right so, so what would what would your house be worth without 185 trillion dollars of printing? Right? <laughs> right. What would like it's just it's really simple to see, and 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 you know this right now. The banks are actually insolvent because if they were allowed to write down their loan, if they had to write down their loans like a normal business would, um, the bank would be gone, right? Yeah. And so, so that it would look like subprime on steroids, um, and it would affect the whole system, and the fit system would break. And then you would rebuild anew. That's what capitalism calls for. Right. The problem, and what's what, and and people don't know it. And not enough people are talking about it. They're looking for solutions. Um, they're desperate for solutions that are exactly the opposite of capitalism because they think capitalism is still sound. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, that's that's part of what I'm saying. That's kind of the other side. And those people that are that are. Um, supporting capitalism as it is today are are also in my opinion wrong you know for the reasons that, you, that we just articulated so that's that's what i'm thinking will it take a dramatic shock and a to wake people up to a different form of you know different system or engaging in a different system and you know also kind of as a you know related to that will this crisis this covid you know coronavirus crisis give the existing system an out so that when it comes time for people to reassess, you know, why things are not working, will the scapegoat be this virus when we all know these things have been building for a very long time? So, so again, we don't all know, you know, I know. There's, <laughs> a lot of people listening to this. A lot of people don't know. It's not on the, it's not on the major, major news channels. You have talking heads on existing system mm-hmm. that are, that, that, uh, and, and this sounds radical. It's not radical. It's math. Yeah. Um, the and so, 
so this so the existing system, as you said, is already broken. I, I, so this was just a pinprick in so you saw it in the book. Housing was not the problem in two thousand eight. Debt was the problem in two thousand eight. Um, COVID isn't the problem. Debt's the problem. We've made the system so fragile that it requires more and more exponentially more debt. To, and, and, and the system's really fragile. So this is just a pin in the balloon that's made that uh, thing unwind. Mm -hmm. So so ironically, um, they say never waste a good crisis. This, this crisis um, is actually an opportunity to fix the system. I'm not sure if we'll take it. I'm not sure if uh, if we can get this message into uh, into more politicians, more uh, more leaders, or if new leaders need to be elected so that uh, so that the message gets home. Gets home. I'm not sure if this if we'll, we'll take it. You can see that the bailing out of the system. We're not taking it um, uh, right right now. Um, but but potentially this crisis is a, is an opportunity to bring this up on the radar and have more people talking about this from a first principle standpoint. Absolutely, and one of the the phenomenons that I've noticed, uh, you know, throughout my journey with Bitcoin and also talking with many people is that, you know, whether you you initially get access because you wanted to buy drugs on the internet or because you wanted to make a quick buck or the the myriad reasons why people first get their first look at Bitcoin. Once, you know, if they have a curious enough mind to step, just take a couple of steps down that proverbial rabbit hole, then they're, they're, they start to see the connections to so many other things and their education is ramped, you know, the speed of their education is ramped up dramatically. And this is, you know, almost unanimous and everyone I speak to is that they start learning about economics, about How's money work. <laughs> yeah, yeah how, what is money? How does it work? What is the nature of money? The history of money? you know, all of this kind of stuff. What do you, do you, in your private life, do you talk to, you know, in, in social uh, environments um, or person, you know, more personally, more private, um, do you talk about Bitcoin? What are the, 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 the nature of the conversations you're having around Bitcoin? Some of the questions you're getting, is there increased interest as a result of things that have been going on over the past you know, one month or six months. What's, yeah, what's so, all that? So the, the answer is absolutely. I would it's so I would say to every friend of mine, buy no matter what, buy buy some Bitcoin as a as a hedge. Mm -hmm. Not only that, if you just think about it, kind of from a, I like gold too, but gold is gold is what is the market cap today of gold? Seven point five trillion. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was the old thing that currency was tied to, right? Yeah. So pre-71. Other than that, does gold really have any value? Should it be worth $7.5 trillion? Right. So, so it, it, it's because it used to be tied to the money supply and it was scarce, right? Um, yeah. It's not because of the jewelry that it's worth $7.5 trillion. For, <laughs> right. sure, for sure, right. It's because, it's because it was scarce tied to money supply. Yeah. And I suspect, and so when I look at Bitcoin total market cap of about 150 billion, 140, whatever. 110 now, probably. 110, yeah. 110 billion. Yeah. And I think about the asymmetric return possible on on Bitcoin. Yeah. It's a no-brainer, right? Um, likely, governments need to peg to something new, and the question is, what are they going to peg to? Yeah. Right? Is it going to be gold, or is it going to be something that is works on a network effect? And if governments don't, like you read this in the book too, in Venezuela. 
you can move it across borders, you can pay for food, you can, and so the more people that start to do this, it provides more and more trust in that, in that, and it'll just, and, and it works on a network effect. So, so I'm hi, highly bullish yeah. on that. It could go to, it could go to a thousand. It, um, I, if it did, I would buy more. Mm -hmm. um, it could go to, but, but it could go to 10 million. Yeah. I totally agree with you there. And, you know, to that point about gold, I mean, look what's happening just in the last couple of days with um, the physical markets. You know, I, I'm, I'm hearing that the Perth Mint, which is one of the, the major suppliers of bullion and coins, they're, they're shelled out. And then you've got things going on at the CME and it looks like there's been, and, you know, the, the GATA, the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, I believe that's the, the name, but they've been talking about, you know, manipulation of the gold markets for years. And so... Um, they've always suspected that there was more paper gold than physical gold. And I don't think that would surprise anybody in today's landscape. But because of the increased, I guess, demand right now for gold as a flight to safety, we're seeing these cracks appear. And I think this is just one of the, the things that, you know, makes people more inclined or it makes a stronger case for Bitcoin because it's something that you can hold on your own at, you know, almost no cost or relatively little cost. You can make it so it's very difficult to confiscate. And, you know, one of the, th I saw Putin, you know, because Russia and China have obviously been big buyers of gold over the last, you know, number of years, probably because they're seeing a lot of the things that we, we're discussing and they're trying to hedge their own, you know, bets. But I, you know, you see Putin with the big bar of gold in his hand and he's staring at it and he's smiling. And it looks so natural to anyone that would see it. It's like, oh, well, gold. Yeah, of course. You know, that one of the most power <laughs> powerful people in the world would, you know, would be holding that, that symbol of wealth and value. But it's really just a shiny rock with certain properties. And that those yeah. properties meant that it was useful for a time for money. But as you mentioned, you know, Bretton Woods was established. And then in 71, we came off of that. The reason we have fiat is because of gold's deficiencies. At least that's one of the reasons. Yeah. Right. And so we need to, you know, and I know there's a lot of gold bugs out there and they're still very ardent supporters of gold. But I think Bitcoin just represents an upgrade in so many different ways with, of course, some downside as well. And it's very new and it's very foreign and it's a paradigm shift in many ways. So it's going to take some time for people to you know, cross. Ramps are hard. People are worried about losing their, their, their keys and everything. Absolutely. And we're getting it sold. So so those are some real uh, but there's ways around those and that'll get easier over time. Exactly. And so I think, you know, in the future, it'll become more and more uh, silly to see, you know, us old world people. Now, whether the future is 100 years or 1000 years or whatever, holding up these shiny rocks and saying, oh, isn't this stuff great? I'll, you know, I work. The whole country is devoted to acquiring this when the, the, the landscape will have shifted, shifted to using something else with better attributes to perform the function of money. And as a result, all the value will accrue to that and less value will, will. Completely, completely agree. Because it's really just an exchange of trust. Right. Right. It's trust. And so what you're talking about in the futures market of gold and the paper market is, gold, is, is trust. Why, why there was counterparty risk in, in 2008 and banks stopped lending to each other is nobody could trust their balance sheet because they knew that they were propping up assets that weren't there, mm -hmm. right? That's, that's happening again right now, all over the world. You have this counterparty risk because nobody trusts the other side. And it's all because you have this fiat currency that, that, that we're propping up these. It's an unmitigated disaster right, <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it, isn't it surreal to be watching it play out like in, in real time? I mean, I think 
we well you articulated in the book so of course you saw this coming many of us in in the bitcoin community gold community whatever have seen this coming the writing's been on the wall for a long time and many of us were surprised that uh 2008 wasn't the you know yeah. the, the final yeah. the final act uh, and here we are now, and it's all been pushed forward so dramatically because of this economic shutdown due to this virus. I mean, we were worried about this unfolding regardless of any, you know, full red light economic shutdown. But now we have just demand stopping in almost yeah. all sectors and industries across the world. I mean, isn't it surreal? Like, what 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 are you thinking it, it, about it, all this? It's surreal. So I think first off, I, I, I think... It, it, in investing, right? So I'm gonna put two different hats. I wrote the book because I care about the world that my kids grow up in, mm -hmm. right? So, so, so the book is how do we how do we transition to to a better and, and be part of that conversation? And, I, and so I care a lot about uh, that. That my own personal investing. Um, so, so beside now, if I think COVID and everything else, first safety, right? First. Family safe, friends safe, everything else. So, so do the things uh, safety. Uh, next um, is your oxygen mask on, right? So so there there's um, people make really bad decisions out of fear, um, and and if you could just take a deep breath and say where are the opportunities in this market, it's staggering. Um, so 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 this is a reset. This is a global reset, and you could play what. The question I think I, I think most of will the U.S. and governments around the world be able to kick the can down the road one more time? Right? Maybe. Right. And and maybe. And so, if that's the case, you probably don't want to be in cash for very long. Right? You want to be in now. But if they destroy the value of cash, <laughs> right? Then you need to be in assets and everything else. But but all of our bets. All of those, so so that's that that's fun. So you need to be where are the opportunities, and most of those best opportunities are in technology companies that exhibit network effects that uh, that drive. So lots of opportunities there. You can buy low. On the other side, if they're incapable of doing that, um, then there's it's it press the reset button, right? And and there's a and so there's a whole bunch of different investments that that do well in either case and and so personally this is a really great time for my investments the companies i'm involved with all the companies i'm involved with are excelling um i actually hate saying that publicly right. with so many people hurting um because um because it's it, it doesn't last if only a few people win and nobody else wins Right, so we have to set up a more fair, uh, fair side of it. But if I would say to to listeners, um, this is a time to take a deep breath and see where the opportunities are. Um, some of them we've mentioned here already, but there are going to be lots of opportunities out of this, no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. And as far as opportunities for, let's say, equity investing or you know, investing in traditional markets, do you, how you know, much of a consideration. Do you think the counterparty risk that is right now in the the environment of potentially systemic failure? So, what's what's a stock in Tesla worth if the system crumbles and you know it's not honored or something like that? Is that something that you consider at all? 
I, I, I do. Um, and, and so, and that's why the governments are printing so much money, right? So to pretend the money is there, so there's not the counterparty risk. Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that is exactly what keep the system going. Mm -hmm. um, some of those stocks um, in that world are really scary. Right. That, uh, that because, because in, if, if this turns into a deflationary depression, like the thirties, which it easily could, um, then are people going to be buying a hundred, dollars $150,000 car, right? They'll be hoarding their capital and they'll be buying buy assets and, and, and more and more people will be out of work, which will cause it to slow more and to, to, so, so, um, so yeah, there's there is some risk on the stock market and some of the companies because of that. Do you think it's more likely we see a deflationary depression or inflationary depression? So I think first deflationary, and then governments uh, uh, try to destroy the currency to stop to stop that from happening, and then it turns parabolic. And on in terms of timelines, you know, for the deflationary part, how long do you think that period would last? Oh, this is hard. Like, and for everybody listening, everything we're talking about are probabilities, right? right? <laughs> in, yeah. in a world that's just changed and it's changing uh, day, uh, day to day. Mm -hmm. So, a, a lot of what I go back to is, what's the first principle? What are people likely to do in in in, in response to that? What have they done? What are they likely to do? As, uh, um, you you read the book, but so in in. Here's a really good example. Blockbuster, Netflix, right? Blockbuster could have bought Netflix for $50 million. And everybody with perfect hindsight says they're crazy. Why didn't they do that? They had 9,000 stores. And at download speeds at that time to download movies were... Netflix was a bad business. Mm -hmm. All they missed was how fast technology was moving. And it rendered their 9,000 stores irrelevant overnight. The same thing that drove all their success for a year, uh, for years, drove their failure immediately. Mm -hmm. Our whole economic system looks like that today. And so what did Blockbuster do? They added candy aisles to their stores, right? And it seems kind of crazy in retrospect when they're dealing with something else, they add candy aisles to the stores because that's the innovation that they see. If you think about what's happening in the financial markets today, we're adding candy aisles to the stores mm -hmm. because we're not doing the we're, we're not doing the things that, uh, that that it's changed. The world has changed, and and so if you understand what people are likely to going to do if they're caught in an old system, then you can assign probabilities to to different sets of outcomes. And so I think the probabilities. Governments around the world are going to print and print and and all over the world. And if U.S. prints and then China's going to print more, right? Europe's going to print more. Everybody's going to print. Maybe in all of those, the U.S. doesn't lose its value because everybody's printing so fast. <laughs> and, and so you have everybody racing and asset prices go back up. Um, but it is that in that environment, it is highly bad. Something's going to break. Nobody mm -hmm. can trust the world. You can't trust global trade, right? Mm -hmm. So the trade tariffs right now around China are really around manipulation of currencies. Yeah, and you know once that 
kind of dislocation of international trade gets kicked off, whether it's just because price signals can't really be trusted or whether it's because currencies are messed up or trade restrictions and trade wars, you know, that precipitates. Yeah, all of the above. Right. So so essentially it's mispricing of the real value of uh, uh, real value of things because you've named the system. Mm -hmm. And, And what Bitcoin does is allows real trust to come back. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've often thought it was, I think it's somewhat foolish to believe that you can have global, you know, trade, not even free trade, but global trade with hundreds of different currencies. I mean, because you're using a different me- unit of measure for all these different things. And then one country can surreptitiously, you know, print more or restrict their money supply or do whatever they want. And that that disrupts the, the flow of, of trade tremendously. So I think in hindsight, we'll look back at this period and say, well, duh, of course, this couldn't have worked with, you know, all these different monetary standards or currencies operating around the world. That was the lead up to World War II. Bretton Woods came out of that. Right. Because, because game theory says that when people work together, everybody wins. Right. right. And so Bretton Woods tied to the gold exchange came out of that so you could enable global trade to flourish. And then and, and, and when 70, in 71, when U.S. couldn't pay for its, uh, Vietnam, going off the gold exchange makes sense. And, and it became the de facto currency of the world. Right. Um, that's breaking down right now because every single other country knows that there's too much risk with that. Yeah. And, you know, relatively, the Bretton Woods period was, was worked rel- pretty, pretty well, you know. It, for, worked, really, it worked really well. <laughs> right, in a lot of ways. And, and, but that thing, if you give someone the power to create money out of th- thin air or you give someone the control of the issuance of currency, at some point it will be corrupted. You know, so all it was was a trust that the U.S. wasn't going to print more gold than they had. But oh, totally. And for a long, for a long time, they didn't. A long time, it didn't look so so bad, and it should remain trusted. It's just, if you, and you, again, you read this, but it, but, but domestic issues always take priority over international ones. When your, um, your family always takes priority over your neighbor, right? It just, it's the way we're wired. Yeah. So if one person has a control of the, uh, of, of something, it'll work for a long time until that person is in trouble. Mm-hmm. And then they'll change the rules. Right. That's what we're seeing on a global basis. Yeah. And again, you know, uh, uh, one of the reasons why I think Bitcoin is gaining so much traction because it's a money that can't be manipulated. You know, of Bingo. course, you know, governments can buy a bunch of it, but once you, if you once you blow that wad, then it's blown and you, you know, you can't just drum up more out of thin air, but, but Jeff, right before we go uh, to the, to the last part, I wanted to circle back and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to look for a specific time or probability, but I'm just trying to get an idea. Do you think if we go kind of deflationary and then, you know, radically inflationary, that deflationary period is relatively short lived? It's that, that dependent, just remember every single bet we're making right now is, is specifically a bet against what governments are going to do. Right. Right. So, so we can, we can watch for that. So $6 trillion, um, it, number one, I don't think it's enough to, to, I don't think it's close to to enough to stop this. I think we're already in, in, in that cycle. Yeah. So, so I think there's going to be more right behind it. Um, and, and, and so I think we're going to move into a deflationary cycle. A deflationary cycle. Deflationary uh, cycle at first. Mm-hmm. Um, 
now fiscal policy you could helicopter money you could and and you could stop that from happening so again these probabilities it's hard to say exactly what i think is going to happen because sure. tomorrow governments could say 10 trillion yeah. right and turn it exactly the opposite way mm -hmm. right or 15 50 trillion what what number <laughs> is is made up money enough of a number to break this that i just don't know <laughs> right okay fair enough um, Jeff, the last part here is, um, so it's a, it's a list of questions. And so okay. you, we've got about 10 minutes. There are quite, a, there's a number of them. So you answer them, you know, you can say pass, but you can answer them as quickly as, uh, as you like. Okay. And, uh, and then the last part is just, uh, some, some quick word association. So the first one is what is money? How would you define money? Exchange of value. If you had to explain Bitcoin to a 10 year old, what would you say? Um, digital scarcity. I would say that's that's a that's a harder one. I would I would I would say money is only the underlying trust that that any paper money is only the underlying trust that the government says is is that value. How will Bitcoin, you, Bitcoin is the same. How will you know if Bitcoin has failed? Um, it doesn't achieve a network effect. So, so, uh, so, uh, so, uh, which is already achieving a network effect. More and more people into it. So, uh, so, but I would it, it dies out. Something else replaces it. What does Bitcoin? By, by the way, sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to that. Yeah. Governments right now could come together if they could come together and create their own. If it was all tied together with the digital scarcity, right? That some of the same rules of Bitcoin, and they might be able to stop Bitcoin from happening. But I suspect that can't happen right. in this environment. What does Bitcoin succeeding look like to you? Um, it's, <laughs> uh, I, I think it could be a million, $10 million a coin. What was the you know, most useful resource when you were learning about Bitcoin that you know, helped foster your understanding the most? Oh, you do a good job. Um, yeah, um, Rao Paul, um, and, and quite, quite honestly, there's a whole bunch of people way smarter than me in, in Bitcoin, um, uh, um, sp uh, specifically, I, did, I I'm way more looking at the macro and, um, uh, why something like this makes a lot of sense. Right. What's one piece of advice you would give to someone around Bitcoin if they're just starting to dip their toes in the water or they're the person that came up to you and said, you know, what is this all about? What would you say? <laughs> My wife has put together a, uh, an information package because so many friends have asked for it to, to kind of how to be safe. Cause, because, because probably not your listeners, but the, the number one thing is, isn't that going to get hacked? Aren't I going to lose all my money and everything else? And, and, and so, so how to do, um, how to, how how to do it safely and and how to get it into into cold storage is that resource only for you know friends and no know, no I'd be happy to, I'd be happy I'd, to share <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to see it I'd love to see yeah. it you uh, you could probably give us some hints on how to make it better <laughs> <laughs> uh, what movie or song is most related to Bitcoin in your opinion oh pass. <laughs> Can Bitcoin be stopped? If so, what is its biggest vulnerability? If not, why not? I think the what I what, what I said, government. It could be stopped if governments actually did what was required um, and put together something that couldn't be manipulated. 
Yeah. Um, failing that, I don't think it can be stopped. We touched on the possibility of this uh, happening a few minutes ago, but when, if ever, do you think the first central bank will start adding Bitcoin to the reserves, either publicly or privately? So I, I would be surprised if it isn't starting to happen right now, whether it's a, whether it's sm smaller governments, whether it's, uh, but uh, um, it, it, I, what would I do? Um, I would start biting slowly so that I didn't push the price up. If I, if I, if I was the, 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 uh, and, and, and so, and, and then go all in, um, if, uh, if I were a central government and if I were a government. What have you learned about yourself or how have you changed, if at all, as a result of learning about and interacting with Bitcoin? There's a common, you know, a lot of people describe certain behavioral changes. Has there been any in you? So not so much on Bitcoin. I think, you know, from the book, I, the, the, the first principles about technology and what that means led me to Bitcoin, not the mm -hmm. other way around. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I kind of understood the macro and, the, and then that led me to Bitcoin rather than see, trying to see, figure out Bitcoin and then looking at the macro. Right, right. So kind of maybe a reverse trajectory for a lot of maybe the, young, the younger generation. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you have any controversial or contrarian views? Uh, if not on Bitcoin, <laughs> if, if, if on Bitcoin first, but if not on Bitcoin, on anything. Okay. Um, the, the not on not on Bitcoin. I think they're uh, they're right in line with uh, with what you're saying. On um, I I think when you, when I say technology is deflationary and and that's a good thing. Um, people people can't understand that because they've lived in an inflationary environment all their life. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a, it's, it's a very contrarian view. Right. Ballpark estimate of Bitcoin's price in five years time. Um, five years time, 500 K. Would you, this is a, a question from a, a previous guest. Would you sell all your Bitcoin to see it succeed? No. <laughs> <laughs> What is um, because if it um, because if it succeeds, um, then it, it means I need the Bitcoin. Right. I, it's a bit of a bit of a trap question. Um, what is one question you'd like to see added to this list? Um, besides Bitcoin, what is uh, what's uh, what's your best investment right now, or what do you think is the best investment in this cycle? And what's your answer to that question? technology companies anything yeah. specifically I, I think the platforms do well through this uh, amazon google uh, facebook i think those uh, in the big cap i think those uh, no matter what um uh, uh, do well um but there's a whole bunch of smaller technology companies a lot of those are, are private but it, it can experience the exact same type of uh of experience um that uh from a way lower cost base right okay last part so this is a word association i'll just say a word you tell me the first thing first thing that pops into your head okay democracy <laughs> um all i can think of is is not today we don't have it <laughs> <laughs> the lightning network uh, bitcoin government um what, I, what comes to my mind is um, um, support for, for, uh, for a population, but that's not what uh, it's manipulated today. So both of those.
human rights? Um, equality, fairness. Violence. Predictable out of what's happening. Trump. Uh, frightening. Um, and, and I'm going to add to this. Um, in 2008, if what should have happened happened, Trump would have been bankrupt. Right? Completely bankrupt. He would not be the president today. Because mm -hmm. all of his loans would have gone to the, the real estate prices would have collapsed everywhere. And the, the, the mirage of somebody that pretends to get money for well, 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 handouts everywhere else would have been laid bare. So it's worth considering that. And if we do this, if we, if we manipulate um, capitalism, what we're going to get the next time too. Ego. Um, Well, I think it's I, I, the word humility comes to mind. FOMO. <laughs> um, <laughs> most of society today. Wealth. Uh, to me, happiness comes to mind. Privacy. Um, <laughs> illusion. Hate speech. Again, predictable and, fright uh, and frightening. Gold. Former money, guns, <laughs> um, a, a market opportunity. I don't want to say market opportunity, but, but people will buy them right now. Revolution coming. Socialism um, just as bad as a system on the other side. Family um, most important. Inequality. Um, it leads to the other things you're talking about, guns, violence, everything else. Liberty. Ironically, actually, I think of U.S. and Canada when, when, uh, when, when you say uh, liberty. Um, uh, and, and, and I hope that's still true. Energy. Um, again, lower and lower, deflationary. And finally, Bitcoin. Future of money. Jeff, that's, uh, that's our hard stop time. I really appreciate you uh, making the time for this conversation today. Really enjoyed it. And I do hope uh, we get the chance to uh, continue it at some point in the near future. Um, the book is The Price of Tomorrow, Why Deflation is the Key to an Abundant Future. Is there anywhere that you wanted to uh, direct people that want to learn more about you or the book? Amazon's probably be uh, best. Uh, the, and, and then from there, there my, my website, jeffreybookbooth.com. Yeah. Well, man, things are happening really fast these days, it seems. So uh, we'll probably have a whole slew of other topics to address in, in a couple months time. So maybe we'll try to reconnect then and, uh, and continue. Awesome. Thanks very much. All right, brother. Take care. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye.